Let us pray to our God again together. Father, uh, as we come, we know that you have spoken to us through your word. And we know that you have proclaimed the gospel of Christ for the lost and the dying in the gospel. And so, Father, as we come paying close attention to this, your word, our Bibles, we pray uh, that you would give us right understanding and that you would make application to us. Let us know as we just sung together that uh, there is no victory that the grave has over us. And even though we might have the cross and we might have the grave, we also have the skies. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would make that abundantly clear to us. That in the midst of a world that causes us to suffer, Uh, In the midst of the world that causes us pain because of the sinfulness that exists, we know that the call of the Christian is to pick up the cross and follow you daily. And yet, Lord, you have also given us victory in your Son. And just as we heard in our call to worship, we shall not die, but that we shall live uh, and live forevermore. And so would we see the resurrection of Jesus? Would we see the union that we have with Him? Would we see the victory that is ours to live in right now and in all eternity? And would we also be motivated, full of joy because of the resurrection of Jesus, that we would go tell someone about the good news that Christ has redeemed sinners through the cross, And He has defeated death by being victorious over the grave. Father, we pray that this would be at the forefront of our minds as we come to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Well, uh, if you will uh, take out your Bibles, uh, our Scripture reading, there's a little bit of a typo in your bulletin. We're going to read all of Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through uh, 20, 1 through 20, so we'll go right past verse 10 that's recorded there in your bulletin, and we'll read verses 11 through 20 as well. If you are using a pew Bible, that's on page 1061, 1061, Matthew chapter 28, reading verses 1 through 20. Now, before we even read, if you were with us on uh, Friday evening uh, for our Good Friday communion service, we saw the story there from John chapter 19, how Christ drank to the fullest extent. We might say that He drank to the dregs of Christ's wrath uh, on behalf of sinners. That, That Christ took upon Himself the full wrath of God so that He might stand in the place of wicked sinners like me and you, and that He was dead. He literally died there on the cross of Calvary, and He was buried there in Joseph's grave there in the garden. And so now we come to that first resurrection morning, that first Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the main thrust of our text It's there at the end of verse 6 and at the beginning of verse 7. 
Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. So that is going to be the drive of our time in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Again, reading all of the 20 verses in this chapter. People of God, hear the word of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, I want to focus really on these two verses, verses 6 and 7, because here it is that we have what we might say is the twin heartbeat of this chapter. We have here this idea of coming and seeing the place where Jesus had been laid and then going quickly and telling others about this resurrection victory that belongs to the people of God because of Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist minister, said this about these two verses. I love this. He said, make sure about the fact for yourselves and then let others know of it. When you know, tell and tell it quickly. Swift be your feet. Such good news as the resurrection that you have to carry should not be long on the road. 
I think that's actually excellent advice for us as we come to Matthew chapter 28 and as we come to this resurrection morning because the, the gospel author here, Matthew, invites us to first to, to see a few things in our text and then we have to take his exhortation seriously how we are to go and to tell uh, the good news about Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And so first, what do we have to see here in our text? Well, it comes right there in verse 6. He is not here, talking about Jesus, for He has risen as He said, Come see the place where He lay. The first thing we have to see, of course, is the empty tomb. The angel right here is very concerned with with Mary Magdalene and Mary, as Matthew records it, the other Mary. But we know from context in the other Gospels that we're talking about Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so these two Marys have come to the tomb and the angel is very concerned with these ladies seeing inside the tomb where Jesus was laid. They've come on this first Sunday morning uh, this first Sabbath morning, you might say, uh, to, to anoint the body of Jesus, to carry out the proper procedures for a dead man to be there in the grave. They have all intentions on anointing the, the dead body of their Lord, Jesus Christ, who just on the Friday before they had seen hanging on a cross, taking His last breath, dying being taken from the cross and being laid in the tomb. So they have all intentions to see the stone there in front of the tomb. They have all intentions to anoint this dead body of their Lord. But here it is that the angel invites them to see an empty tomb. A place where their Lord Jesus had laid but lays no longer. He wants them to see that Jesus had been there but at the same time wasn't there any longer. And so we see very quickly this idea that Jesus did not not cheat death, but He actually defeated death. And the stone has now been rolled back, and the angel invites the women to to come into the tomb to see the, the bedclothes, to see the bedding that had been made for Jesus. You know what's fascinating here about the, 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 the Matthew account of this resurrection is, is that it gives us some details about the great earthquake and about the angel of the Lord descending from heaven and the angel himself rolling back the stone and, and sitting upon it. In our, I, I guess our, our, first, our first reading of those details makes it seem as if The angel is doing these things so that Jesus might walk out of the tomb. But in fact, as all the commentators that I read this past week argue, and as Charles Spurgeon so beautifully says, it's not for Jesus to walk out, but it's for these two ladies to walk in. The glorified body of our Lord knows no boundaries. Remember, it's there in the upper room that He meets with His disciples and He 
It, you know, the gospel accounts tell us so often that, that the doors were locked there in the upper room, but Jesus appears before them in bodily form. It, the, the stone did not need to be rolled back for Jesus to walk out, but for the angel to invite these ladies to walk in to see that the tomb is now empty. And we know that others come to the tomb and find it empty as well. John chapter 20 Verse 4 says that Peter and John, after hearing about the resurrection of their Lord, they begin to quickly run to the tomb to see it for themselves. And, and John outruns Peter, but Peter goes in, kind of barrels into the empty tomb first. And as they look in the empty tomb, verse 5 says, And stooping to look in, Peter saw the linen cloths lying there, and then John goes in and he sees the linen cloths lying there. And John gives us details. The face cloth which had been on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but it had been folded up in a place by itself. And they saw and they believed. That is, that is the invitation for us this morning to come and to see the place where he was laying, but to see that he lays there no longer, that he has defeated death, that death is now finished. You know, many commentators say that the reason why the face cloth is, is folded here in John chapter 20, one of those very minuscule details that the Apostle John gives us is so that we will know that death is now finished. You know, it's, it's fitting for us, it's proper for us as, as, as we're sitting at a, a, a fine dining environment that as we're finished with our meal, we fold our napkin, we fold that, that cloth and we place it on the plate showing that now the waiters or the servers can take our plate away because we are finished. That is the imagery here, that death is now finished and the disciples and these two ladies they're invited to see where Jesus lay to show you that death is now defeated. And that's the invitation for us too, is to see that death is defeated through the empty tomb. And you might say, well Matt, the disciples had the luxury. Peter and John had the luxury. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus had the, had the luxury of, of actually seeing with their physical eyes, this, this empty tomb, but we cannot see it with our physical eyes. And the call for us here is to see it with our spiritual eyes, to see it in faith. And in fact, Jesus tells us that there is a bigger blessing, you might say, for those who will see in faith the empty tomb. He says to doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And we know the story of doubting Thomas, I hope. And you might come with, with the doubting Thomas, with the kind of the skeptical attitude of Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus says, in faith, would you see? Would you see where my hands were pierced? Will you see the, the holes in my feet? Will you see where I was pierced in my side by the spear, and would you see 
the physical body that now I exist in forevermore. We need to actually see the empty tomb. We need to see that there's life after death. We need to see that there is victory to be had over the grave. And we need to see that our glorification is in bodily form. Look at verses 8 through 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Talking about these two women. And they ran to his disciples. And behold, we all know that I'm obsessed with that word behold. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now why do you think that Jesus intercepts these Two ladies, as they, as they leave the tomb to go tell His disciples. We already know because Matthew gives us the, the details. They have left the tomb with fear and great joy. And they're going to tell the disciples. They already believe. They have the same response as the disciples, Peter and John here. They see the empty tomb and they are full of faith. So they're full of joy, it says, and they're going back to His disciples. So this isn't just that Jesus can convince them to believe that He is resurrected. No, it's to make sure that they get the details right. That's what Charles Spurgeon says. It's to make sure that they get the the details right. They, They must know that this is not some mere spiritual resurrection, but that Jesus has risen bodily from the dead. How do we know that this is the case? Look at the details in which Matthew gives us again at the end of verse 9. Jesus greets them. And they came up and take hold of His feet and they worship Him. Their hands don't go through what they think is some sort of figment of their imagination. No, they prostrate themselves before the Lord and they grab His physical feet. They take hold of His actual feet, and they realize in that moment that Jesus, again, has a literal, physical, touchable body, and yet, at the same time, it is a glorified body. Now, why is that so important for us? Why is it so important for us to know that, that Jesus was risen in bodily form and now even exists in heaven in bodily form. Well, it helps us be reminded first and foremost that, that heaven, the victory over the grave, heaven itself is an actual place where there is space and time. You know, as human beings, we require such things to exist in any sort of meaningful sense. Space and time. And for eternity and resurrected victory, we will be with Christ in in, in glory, with glorified bodies, beholding His glorified body. And it's a reminder that heaven is not just some state of mind. Because human beings can't exist like that. But we will exist in perfect glory forever and ever. But it also reminds us that on the throne of heaven is one who has great sympathy for us as humans. 
The author of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who sits in the heavens. And the Gospels remind us that he has been tempted. Jesus has been tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. And he knew the sufferings of the human life, and now he has victory over each one. The the actual body of Jesus should encourage you because the Gospel makes it very clear here that we have a risen Savior who physically sits upon the throne and from that throne He intercedes at the right hand of the Father awaiting the moment that He is told by the Father to receive your bride, to go get your people and then He will usher us into a real place where there is glorified creation, a new heavens and a new earth to be enjoyed forever and ever. You know, sometimes it seems as if in the Bible that our, that our bodies are something that our God is, for lack of better terms, I'm just going to say allergic to. Because our bodies, our flesh is, is still tainted by sin. Even, even the most seasoned of saints that might be here this morning, is still tainted by sin. And we know that our holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so Isaiah chapter 6 gives us the, the right response, right? Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the holy King, the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> and, and at that moment, we should be terrified to be in the presence of the Almighty God, but then the victory of Christ. As we see the empty tomb in faith and we see the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus, the Gospel gives us a hope. The Gospel gives us what we see in the ladies here, fear and great joy. Fear as in reverence. Fear as in awe. And great joy as in excitement. Pure, unhindered excitement that we get to be with our Jesus forevermore as glorified people with glorified bodies. No more taintness of sin, no more sickness, nor death, nor tears, but for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, we will exist as new human beings with new glorified bodies just as it was originally meant to be. How do we know these things? It's because Jesus is resurrected from the tomb in a physical body. But then also what Matthew invites us to see is this report of the guard. This must be important. It seems so strange for it to be here. Verses 11 through 15. It seems so strange for it to be here. This report of the guard, this conniving of lies and deceit, this story of of these Roman soldiers, this legion of Roman trained satyrians being there at the tomb and and yet Jesus' followers coming and and stealing the body is such a far-fetched story if you think about it, isn't it? This story where three people, notice that there's two women, and if you remember something about 
the, the crucifixion of our Lord, there's one disciple left standing there in John chapter 19. It's John. Everybody else has been scattered. Everybody else is hiding for their life. And, and the religious establishment is, is, is conniving this, this fairy tale of sorts. They're devising this plan, this lie in which they're going to tell that these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and John, defeat the Roman satyrians. They roll back the stone on their own and they steal the body of Jesus. What this should show you, what you should see here is that the religious establishment knows exactly what happens. They've been told, right? They've heard it said time and time again, Jesus has prophesied that He would die at their hands, that He would be buried for three days, and yet on the third day, He would be raised from the dead. But they have willfully rejected Jesus. Meaning, all the evidence points to an actual resurrection from the Lord and they have hardened their hearts in such a state that they say, it is better for us to say. It makes more sense in our minds to say that these two women and John, one of his disciples, have conquered a Roman legion, a Roman army, and have stolen the body of Jesus. It makes absolutely no sense. And yet in their willful rejection of Jesus, all that they can think is we must get rid of this gospel message. And, and if He's going to be resurrected from the grave, we must water down. We must get in front of this truth with a lie. And we must say that His body has been stolen. You notice something about this, about this, this report of the guard that we're meant to see. The Roman government doesn't even buy it. It says there in verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. See, the Roman satyrians, they should be put to death. They have been defeated. In, in, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, if you're defeated in a battle, you as the commanding officer and all your soldiers would be put to death. And so they've, they've said, you're going to say that you've been defeated. And the Roman satyrians are going, I don't know if this is a great plan. That means I'm going to die. They go, listen, if it gets to the governor's ears, we will satisfy them and keep you out of trouble. But you notice that, that actually the Roman government doesn't do a single thing. They don't persecute or, or, or arrest the disciples for stealing the body of Jesus, which would actually be against the Roman Empire's laws. It would, be, it would be subject to the death penalty. They don't put Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and John to death. They don't put the Roman satyrians to death. Why do you think that's the case? It's because they know that this story is not credible. They don't know what happened, but they know that that story didn't happen. And thanks be to God, what we see here in the Gospel of Matthew is this report of the guard is the willful rejection of the religious establishment. And so you see, right, the, the skeptics, 
You see those who have rejected the Lord, but also you see those who peer into the tomb in faith. And they're the ones that are full of reverence and awe. They are the ones that are full of excitement and great joy. And it's these two women, it's these two women who are told to go quickly and tell there at the first half of verse 7. And what are they to tell? Well, quickly, it shows us that this gospel message is meant to be shared. And we are to share, we are to tell that Jesus is exactly who He said He was. That Jesus is exactly who He says He is. He is the one who is guiltless. He is the one who is sinless, and yet He dies a sinner's death. He was the one who has descended from heaven, the Word who became flesh to dwell among us. He is the singular mediator between God and man, and He is the one that gives us victory over the grave. He is exactly who He claims to be. You know, Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, is Jesus there before the great high priest. And the high priest asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed God? And Jesus says to him in verse 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, and I am the one who was sent by the Father to defeat sin, death, and hell forevermore. And that's what we are to tell. We are to tell the world that Jesus, though He was sinless, though He was perfect, though He was blameless, was actually the spotless Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sins of the world. And all who see His resurrection in faith now has a singular and perfect mediator between God and man. We are to tell them that. And we are to tell them that there is life beyond death and the grave. There's life beyond the death and the grave. Actually, in the Great Commission, you see these things clearly spelled out before us. We're to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We are to go and to tell them that Jesus lives. We're to engraft them into the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're to evangelize, we're to bring them into the church, then we are to disciple them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're to tell them that Jesus lives forever and we shall as well. You know, here it is that... that that oftentimes we talk about heaven as some sort of kind of creepy Casper the friendly ghost environment. That it's an abode of souls. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that our eternity with God is a physical communion with Him. We're going to have glorified bodies and there's going to be glorified food and drink. We'll get to eat from the tree of life. We'll get to drink from the river. We'll get to walk on the streets paved with gold. We will have real physical mansions 
to enjoy. We will see a real living Jesus before us and we will worship Him forever. We get to come, as Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, we get to come, everyone who thirsts, come to the streams of living water. Even though you have no food, come buy and eat. Come drink the wine and drink the milk without money and without price. The Bible tells us that there is a new world that is not some sort of fairy tale world, but it is the new heavens and the new earth That Jesus will be there bodily before us. We will be there bodily with Him. And we will feast. And we will celebrate. We'll be full of fear and great joy for the rest of eternity. If Jesus rises from the grave, so shall we. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. You better tell the people that. Because that's our message, and that's our hope. That's the gospel. And that's what we need to be about. We need to be about the gospel business of believing, coming and seeing, in faith, and then going and telling quickly that Jesus lives and so shall all who call upon Him in faith and pursue Him in obedience. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to this, Your Word. And we pray, O Lord, that we would see even more clearly in faith the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that it would, that it would encourage us to go quickly and to tell all people all tribes, nations, and tongues about this risen Savior in which we believe and which we serve. And Father, would we uh, see You quickly in bodily form? Would we receive our glorified bodies very soon so that we might eat and drink and celebrate and enjoy uh, You forever and ever? We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.